welcome to the Own Your Epic podcast. My name is Jay Dostal, author of the book Own Your Epic, Leadership Lessons in Owning Your Voice and Your Story. In this podcast, I highlight the stories and voices of educators across the country who are making a difference in schools and uncover what makes them exceptional leaders in their field. By sharing the voices and stories of others, we can all learn to appreciate that each of us is the author of our own epic and our experiences are relatable to others, if we are willing to share them. Let's get started on the Own Your Epic process. Welcome to the Own Your Epic podcast. I am stoked about the conversation that we are going to have today with my guest, um, he's been kind of elusive. I've been trying to, to get him on my calendar, uh, but I also feel like I have to have the payback because when I first got here, he uh, back to Omaha, he invited me back on to his podcast and we yeah. had a great conversation. Um, but uh, now we get to learn a little bit more about him. And so rather than me giving his introduction, I want him because this is like, this is big time for me. This is big time for the Own Your Epic podcast. I don't know about that. So why don't you tell us who you are and what you do? So Damon Benning, and I'm not exactly sure what I do. I do do a lot of media th stuff. Um, I am the, the color voice for uh, the state school, the University of Nebraska. I've got a morning show here in Omaha uh, called Coffee and Cream in the Morning. And I, I do a lot of, you know, miscellaneous things in media, right? Nebraska Public Media for uh, Big Red Wrap Up. I do uh, Big Red Zone for Channel 7. Uh, just kind of a contract for hire guy, you know? And it's weird, Doc, just because I love sports, but it's not, it's not really the essence of who I am. So it's just, I, I sometimes I chuckle that I think that, I kind of get boxed in that deal, um, but I think once people figure out that there's a lot more there, that's really the only reason they talk to me. <laughs> well, no, I think that they talk to you because you're engaging, and I think I think this is uh, this is why I wanted you on this podcast so much because uh, I get the impression that people box you in mm -hmm. into well, he's a sports guy because mm -hmm. he was he's a phenomenal athlete and he's been around sports all the time and you're very knowledgeable about it, but I don't think a lot of people know some of your background that led up to this because this podcast in particular is about folks who are in education and uh -huh. amplifying their voice. And, you know, you're, you're a trained educator. Yep. Come from a family of educators. Correct. You coach, which is just another way of teaching, teaching. But I don't think a lot of people necessarily know that about it. They see the guy on TV, oh, he talks about Husker sports, he talks about high school sports, all that. What, what how did you, how do you make that, or how do you, uh, how does that work for you? How, why do people not know that about you? Um, I, I think, so it happened fast. So I, I think initially, like in high school, uh, and especially in college, once I got done, or I wasn't playing, I would almost never talk about sports, right? It was always about something else other than sports, just because uh, I think growing up, I, I fought so hard against, at least mentally, um, preconceived notions and perceptions, right? My, my dad was in education. 
Um, he was assistant superintendent at the time. Um, he had just moved from 40th and Bedford out to Maple Village area, you know, 99th and Fort. And that was the house that I was born in. And so I think balancing the perception of, you know, a black family living in a predominantly white neighborhood, um, I fought, and it was probably more my own doing than I think anything necessarily anybody said to me about athletics, but I always try, wanted to buck that trend that, you know what, um, there's a lot more to me that interests me than just sports. It's just, um, you know, a God-given thing that, that I happen to be, to, to be good with. And so I had all these things in my head, Doc. It's funny, like sometimes I'm my own worst enemy because I'm super analytical, but, you know, I would think, well... Would they like me if I wasn't good at sports? Would they talk to me, you know, if I wasn't good at sports? Could we be friends if I wasn't good at sports? And so, right, wrong, or indifferent, those were just kind of things on my mind, right? I, I, I always felt like I could be too dark for some and not dark enough for others, right? Because I have to interact in my own community as well and and, and be willing to embrace education and and things of that nature and, and, and still be accepted across the board. So, Do you feel like you have, uh, does, does imposter syndrome so, enter your head a little bit? So I made so many mistakes early on, um, especially till I was probably, you know, 34, 35. Because I think a lot of it stems from the fact that I just struggled with being at peace with who and what I was. You know, I was tried to be a lot of things to a lot of different people and um, none of it really stuck, you know, so I struggled a little bit with um, not understanding my environment and, and my own sense of self-worth. So I found myself, um, I mean, I think that was the primary reason that I failed in my first marriage is, is just lack of lack of identity, lack of fundamentally believing and understanding who and what I was and not needing to be anything different for anybody else. And so I think it all stems back from the whole what do I correlate you knowing me with? Is it through sports? Is it through education? And one of the things I said on the show this morning, uh, somebody tweeted an old picture and I had on a sweater and an open collared shirt and my co-host said, wow, you know, I... I, I only usually see you in zip-ups and warm-ups. And I said, you know, there was a point in time where I wore a suit for six or seven years straight, right? When I was working right. at, the, at the TAC building for the school district. And there's just this utter disbelief because he's only known me in the past handful of years, not in some of those formative years as an adult, not my adult child years, but those formative years is kind of in my adulthood where I was trying to kind of find my way. So I never I never really grasped who I should be and when I should be it until I absolutely failed. Yeah. And, and 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 failing at immeasurably the way that I did, I think really got me to re examine being authentic, authenticity, kind of just being who you are, uh, not leaving that open to interpretation. And I, I think that's kind of been the difference. And so 
I'm one of those people that, you know, if I first meet you, it just depends on what the subject content is. I'm not going to, I typically don't offer anything up. You know, it's a, it, it's just based on how the conversation goes. So if the educational background or, you know, K through eight, minor and special, if that, if none of that comes up, then it's not usually anything that I talk about. A lot of times it's, you know, it is athletics or sports related because I think that's um, primarily what people want to know about. But I also think in this weird sort of land the plane way, it's one of the reasons that the, my media career, especially on radio, I think has been relatively successful because I think there's a certain amount of um, depth, maybe not, maybe not be the right word, but there's a lot more there than I think would initially meet the eye. So I'm always trying to intertwine athletics and life together. And uh, it's just, and here we are. Well, it's interesting you bring that up because uh, in the time that I've known you, very rarely our conversations have anything to do with sports. Almost never. Never. <laughs> Which is one of the reasons that I, so that's kind of why I gravitated towards your personality because you know, I'd watch you work and I hear all these stories and I know a lot, so many people that were at your former stops and I was well aware of you when you were at Millard West and that's early 2000s. And so when many I, failures ago, so when I watch, when I watch kind of the way that I think you work, where there's this, there's this human component, there's a growth component. I liked you on social media. I'm like, Oh, I, there's some depth here, I think, right? So then I would just watch and I would say, okay, am I pitting what I think versus what I see? Like, how are these interactions? And so, um, like when we talk, I'm as much trying to learn probably as you are. And the way that I can learn isn't through the vehicle of sports. So it almost never comes up unless, you know, maybe we're talking about Westside yeah. or, or something like that. But it's usually about life, kids, or, or something other than, than sports. Well, it, so what's, what's crazy about that is, so I, it, it's going to seem somewhat stockish because I, I told your wife, uh, wife this, but like I watch you, just how you interact with different people and how you, um, how you present yourself. Because, you know, as you were telling your story about, you know, all of the failures that led mm -hmm. up to where you're at, I'm the exact same way. And I mean, you and I are very similar that we fail in very public forums yeah. and it's hard for people not to, you know, hold on to that and think about it long term. But with the understanding that we, we fail, but then we grow. Mm -hmm. And I guess that's where, where I wanted to ask you is, you know, if you think about the past 20 years or so, and you, you think about your time in education, your time still in education, because you're still around education, you're mm -hmm. coaching, is how do you take those failures and those growth opportunities that you have experienced and translate that to kids to say, listen, I know you've got everything, th your own kids or the, yeah. the kids that you coach, how do you translate them and help them see that listen, it's not going to be perfect all the time. And yes, people are going to have a perception of you and you have a choice of whether or not you're gonna let that perception control you or if you're gonna try, try to do something different. 
Because again, you said perception of you was you're an athlete and this is what you're about. Rainbows there, and butterflies. Yeah, there's, there's, yeah. there's so much more mm -hmm. depth to you. So how do you convey that? I think a lot of it was just from being authentic, right? Where if I'm talking to students or even players um, or even families, and I think it's important when backstory can present itself, tell it. And so that's a lot of, of, of what I do because I think in order to know where you want to go and, and where you think other people are, you have to kind of know where they've been. And I think a lot of people are reluctant to share some of that because they're afraid to be kind of judged or um, critiqued or have it not meet, uh, you know, a certain standard. But for me... Vulnerability is tough. It is, but it's powerful. Very powerful. It, it is so freeing <laughs> when <laughs> you, you can make yourself vulnerable because that's when real growth happens. And it's funny you, you use the word vulnerable because I think the two things that changed my life almost happened simultaneously. Going through my divorce um, and my father being diagnosed with aphasia uh, in, a, in, a, in a form of, of dementia almost at the same time. They were within a year and a half. And so between 2010 and 2012 when um, I was really struggling personally, uh, my dad was diagnosed in 2012. And so it seemed like a very good time to take the focus off of what I hadn't been and start realizing what I need to be and what I've been called to be. And so there were some tough times. I, you know, 2011 to 2013, 29, 2009 to 2013 was not a good time, you know, personally and emotionally for me and, and, and went through a lot of ups and downs and, and, some growing and then some pruning where you have to kind of be cut back and then grow a little bit. And I still, you know, I don't really have it all together today, but I mean, that was critical for me because I figured um, my dad was, um, he's my best friend. And that was my, that was my go-to. That was the guy that I didn't want to disappoint. And, and I remember telling him about the struggles that, that I was having when I wanted to come back home. And some of the lessons that he, that he talked about, about being other-centered and, and, and making sure that um, I had assessed, he, he did this thing called assessing the situation. <laughs> and um, he, he told me- Typical how, teacher move. And, and some <laughs> of the real things, they were these foreign concepts to me because he, he wanted me to, not predict outcomes, but give them consideration. And it really helped me. It sounds contrarian, but it really helped me maximize in the moment. Because if, if I was gonna think about this decision could mean this potentially, there could be this option, this option, this option. You gather that in, how does it make your tummy feel? You move ahead. It, it keeps you from making further irrational decisions in the moment. I think one of the things that I've become pretty okay at is very even keeled uh, in the moment, especially uh, when it's chaos. And while I can be excitable, the words are still measured and they still kind of have meaning because I think I've just been trained um, through a various 
you know, through various trials. Some of them were good, right? I mean, catching a punt in front of 90,000 or fumbling on national television, uh, you know, in your first road game as a redshirt freshman. Like those things are, those things are, those are all tools in which you can learn to grow um, and are part of growing. And so there are some things that just came very naturally that I didn't feel were applicable to some of the things that I was going through currently, but they really were, right? Yeah. Composure, uh, audience of one, right? Am, am, am I doing the things that I need to do to give me the best chance to be successful? All things that were kind of topsy-turvy in high school and college when you're competing and you're playing at a high level and sometimes you get benched or sometimes you get beat out or when I'm cutting Carolina, like just using things that you think are athletically driven that are really just life components. That's really when the, the trigger started to happen. So when my father was, was diagnosed, I the first thing I immediately thought, who, who am I capable of being that my family needs me to be right now? Not who, who do I need to be? <laughs> because it sounds like just it's just a change of a word or two, but it kept me being true to what I think. Not only was I capable of sustaining, <laughs> but it, it allowed me to assess the situation at the same time. So I, it's just it's it's strange, and sometimes it's a little eerie, and sometimes it hurts my feelings, and sometimes it motivates me when I go back to how most of the growth came from some of the the most inopportune or I say dark times and I think it's important it's important for people to understand that when you're either trying to problem solve or you want to provide insight or you want to growth it's not always what happens it's when it's when it's good and it's positive that can dictate outcomes sometimes it's 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 how you manage 70 percent sometimes it's how you manage 60 65 percent so it's as you're, as you're talking there, I'm thinking about uh, a question you asked me when I was on your podcast about, because I think I shared with you in 2016, that was the worst professional year of my life with three student suicides, kid dying in a house yeah, fire, yeah. and teacher losing, like, it crushes you, mm -hmm. but it gives you an opportunity to grow. And so when you said just now that what you need to be versus what you're capable, capable of, of being, yeah. I think that is so relevant to teachers in the classroom and education because we all know that teachers need to do certain things. Mm -hmm. You need to follow the curriculum, you need to do these things. The question is, what are you capable right. of being for the kids that are sitting in your classroom? Or willing. Or right? willing, <laughs> yeah, or willing to be. Yeah. And being able to diagnose that in the moment and be able to provide them because at the end of the day and you and you know this kids the content is secondary to actually meeting the relational needs of that kid Without and question. where they're at Without and so uh, you know how do you challenge when you're when you're when, talking with adults because kids are one thing adult relationships are something completely different how do you stretch people mm. To kind of 
get to that point because you're not you're not at least with me I've never I've never you're not confrontational no. you I don't see a lot of highs and lows when I see you interacting when you're coaching I don't even see a lot of highs and lows even there even on Twitter when people disagree yeah. with me there's a very methodical way in which I there is about it. how do you stretch people into kind of getting into that headspace how do you teach them so a lot of it, I think, is some of it is through model behavior. But if it's through somebody that I haven't met or I'm just now meeting, I, I think it's weird. The, the gift of discernment is definitely something I think um, I can do better than not. I'm not saying better than the next. but I, And so I think you, you have to be able to measure it. And with young people, you typically there's more in there. Right, where you're at what they deem a crossroads or some failure, whether it be a relationship or an F or a D minus, or for some it's a B plus when they think they should have gotten an A, or maybe you ran a 4.8 and, and you're disappointed. And, and so a lot of times I think it's important to instill in people that there's more in there. And the mind is funny. You know, we operate at about 27, 28% of our brain capacity. And so there's, I know that there's a lot more in there that we're capable of doing if we're just willing to ask ourselves, is this something that we're willing to do? And I think it's really important. And sometimes it's difficult for teachers. I mean, you get into 8, 9, 10, 15, 20, 25 years of doing something and you've seen that there's success, you're probably less apt to take those those philosophical self-inventory challenges, right? <laughs> right. It's yeah. like, oh, well, I know this works and I've done this for X amount of time. But I think the thing is, is why I like to use the word capable, is because is that something that you're able to do for this particular student or this particular issue at this particular time? And when you keep those emotional guardrails in place, those mental checks and balances, it's not foolproof. But I think it, it can provide guardrails sometimes for conflict resolution, right? Okay, what's the desired outcome? What, like, what do I want to have happen here? And then I'm thinking, okay, it's E plus R equals O is really what right. it is, right? right. <laughs> so the event happens, there's the outcome. The only thing that you can control is the R. But within that response, is it something that I can grow in or be comfortable with to get the desired outcome? If I'm not willing to go there, then I don't think you reserve the right to complain about the outcome. And Fair. I'm very I'm very resolute in that. I'm like that in my own household. I'm like that with <laughs> the kiddos that I mm -hmm. raise. I'm like I try to be like that in relationships, right? Where if, if, if you're not willing to stretch or take some self-inventory, then I don't think you've earned the right to be upset about the outcome. Because if, if I haven't exhausted the options to get to where I want to be, then I'm, I'm going to reserve complaining until I've given that a chance. And that's really what I try to instill in people. Even when I'm coaching, it's the exact same way. It's right. It's they may feel a certain way in the moment or feel like they have had a, a sense of accomplishment. Say, listen, there's more in there. Well, what's the end result? Well, the end result is I want to do X, Y, and Z. Well, the end result's got to be first that you've maximized. When you feel like you've maximized, then we can get to the other stuff. Right. <laughs> Knowing right. full well when you're talking to students and people younger than you, you get the sense that they haven't yet. So it not only provides some, some guidelines to what they need to do, you know that you're instilling in them 
I, I, there's, I got more work to do. It's not over yet. It's not over yet. This book is not written yet. I have a chance to continue the chapter, erase, and, and change some things. Like uh, Right now, I'm just proofreading. And, and I think the, the quicker and the more efficient you can instill that in young people, the better chance you have to generate the results you want. It's actually a really good transition to the one of the last questions I'm going to ask you. Um, so, own your epic is all about owning your story, mm-hmm. the good, I the bad, that. the ugly. That's what I. That's what grab. That's when you would hashtag that. That's kind of what was. Because even when I mess up, I want people to know I own that. Yes, that's on me. Well, and I and I think that's that's part of the 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 issue that I don't think a lot of people are willing to do is you know my dad always taught me that everybody brings something to a conflict or an issue, and in order to resolve that, you have to bring something. It's not someone else's problem. No, right. it's everybody's right. problem. We've got to solve it. And so, as over, I like to say, how'd we get here? Yeah, how'd we get here? <laughs> so, over the course of our lives, we are collecting and curating these stories that help us grow. I mean, you've shared a number of them mm. today. What is that, you know, one story that you find that you are telling people over and over and over again about your journey through mm. life? Mm. The one that kind of just like stands out to you so there's a couple I'll, I'll tell just I'll tell I'll tell one because it was the first one um, and in high school I was at Omaha Northwest and we were 0 and 9 uh, we'd come off uh, my, my freshman and, and sophomore years were pretty good we were in the playoffs my sophomore year lost a, a older mature a really good class um, Doug Presser Sean Peterson a lot of good players uh, in 91 and 90 or in 90 and 91 uh, Michael Brown Tony Page all these guys come to mind uh, I moved to quarterback to the starting quarterback I was playing wide receiver and some other miscellaneous things just to get on the field as a young guy but I was a quarterback my whole life we were 0-9 uh, as a, or my junior year and my head coach at the time Frank Hamill said hey, instead of you giving the ball to other people, why don't we give you the ball? Like, let's make you a running back. And I fought it like crazy. I'd never played it a day in my life. Not one down was I, had I ever been a running back in my life. I was a quarterback. I was going to be a quarterback. <laughs> you know, that was, you couldn't tell me any different. My mom was a huge Warren Moon. I wanted to be Warren Moon. I was. I wanted to be Terry Bradshaw. And I remember kind of going home, and I had a really good relationship with my coaching staff. Um, and I remember talking to my dad. And he told me, he was using all these terms I didn't even really get at the time. You know, other-centered is one. You need to be other-centered, right? Like, what are, what is being asked of you? Is there more in there? Are you capable? What do you think? And and I remember, I'm like, what do I need to be other-centered about? It's They're talking to me, about me. I want to decide for me, right? It seemed to make sense as a 17-year-old senior, right? Sure. And he's, you know, he said, it, just, it, doesn't, it doesn't work like that. He said, you know, you're playing a team sport. It's a total team effort. And 
he would he would tell me these stories about asking wrestlers to move down a weight or up a weight, and they feel may feel more comfortable doing this, but for total team points and scoring, it has to be like this. And when you train, you train as a team. It, there was all these analogies that that he was giving me, and I remember I almost felt it was guilt. <laughs> Like I felt, <laughs> I felt. I'd love to say, sit here and tell you, oh, I felt moved, man. I was gonna go make it. <laughs> no, I didn't. I'm, I'm not, like, I felt guilt, and so I, I, I kind of did it begrudgingly, until, I, until I started to have some success, and the fourth game of the season, um, you know, I get a my first scholarship offer. And I'm a little run. I mean, I'm I'm five ten. I'm one seventy, soaking wet, right? And and I it was a kind of a big deal. And all of a sudden, I felt like, oh, okay. But I was still a baseball guy at heart. So eventually, I, I said yes. And I remember like it was yesterday, Coach Osborne telling me that the class. This is the this was the Fame 1992 class. Oh this yeah, Mike Menner, Tommy Frazier. I mean, there was there were some fellas, right? And he told me the class was filling up and it was in December and, you know, basically to tinkle or get off the pot, right? And so I remember I, I said yes. And uh, in the spring, I was coming off a really good baseball season. It was the second time I had been all state and, and I ended up getting drafted by the Pittsburgh Pirates. And I remember wanting to go play baseball. I want to go play baseball. A couple thousand dollars signing bonus, if I remember right, and I felt like that was enough to buy my mom's Sentra. Right? She had a little. <laughs> yeah. So these are all the things I'm thinking real time. Sure. And my dad said no. He he said, I, I don't want you sacrificing your education. And he kept saying, short term gain for long term pain. And I'm like, why would you think that? down the road you're this epitome of confidence why like why are you assuming it's not gonna work it just didn't register to me and he said the only thing that I know for sure is two things you need to honor your work your commitment with the scholarship and you need to go get your education it's the only time doc that I can remember in well 43 years because he's been gone 40, 40, 42 years, he's been going almost six years now, that I could ever remember not talking to my dad. Wow. Three days, four days, didn't speak, didn't have any sort of real meaningful anything. And turns out he was right. Right? <laughs> like, and so now, the funny thing about that is how does it manifest itself in me? I'm willing to say things, and sometimes it's to the bad. I'm willing to say things that may hurt your feelings, that, that may get you upset with me for a little while, but I trust that if I'm measured enough then it's coming from a good place, that ultimately it will win out. Now, it doesn't always. And Jay, I tell but, you. But if you go in with it, with the with the with the heart that's, that you care. That's my thing. And you do. That's my thing. Is you, you know that even when I used to discipline the kids when they were younger, I'd say, "Hey, listen, I'm this is because I love you." And I felt like it I was hated here in that. For it my... was important for them to know because that was the impact that those decisions had on me. It was coming from a place of love, and I knew he wanted the best for me, and so I had over time 
as you get older, you, you start to trust in those things and you reflect on those things that it's not just lip service. He, he really did do this out of a place of love. It wasn't because he had to be right. It's because he wanted to get it right. And, yeah. and I just, that's, I mean, that's it in a nutshell right there. You know he's smiling down on you now. He's, I hope so. He, I, I, Jay, I miss, there was a stretch where I realized I didn't have very many friends. First couple of years I lost him, I was, it was, uh, it was tough. Yeah. I felt like I talked to myself a ton and, you know, I was just in with my kids and I, I just didn't have, I, I'm like, I got to trust more. Yeah. I, I have to, I have got to get outside of this share thing. And that kind of changed my career in media because I started to be a lot more open and honest about the things that I was being consumed by and with and how it related to sports. And I think ultimately that's been the difference. Man, we're uh, <laughs> like, I want to continue this conversation <laughs> for like the next hour, yeah. but we're at the, we're at the end here. Um, hey, where can people find you and learn more about you and hear, because I know, again, you've got a lot, I think you've got, you got so many different avenues that yeah. you can, like whether it's social media, whether it's podcasting, yeah. whether it's me, where can people go to find more about you? I, so I would either, you know, you can always um, ask me what you want to know on Twitter, right? It's and at, he'll tell you. At Damon Benning. <laughs> I will. He and, will. Um, or, you know, you can listen to our morning show. Um, it's Coffee and Cream. It's on 590 from 7 to 9 uh, in Omaha. We're 1480 in Lincoln. And the other thing is I've got a podcast that I do that I'm getting ready to start again. It, I had to wait for the world to kind of slow down, um, which is called Planet Forward. And it's a lot about life. And, and it's a play on, obviously, paying it forward. But I like to talk about things other than sports. That's really a good place to start because we, we, as you know, oh. we go there in some oh, of those episodes. We go, we go there in yeah. those episodes. I, it's Absolutely. A, you know, because I think um, depth is important. Yeah. And uh, that's where people can get it. I think, uh, I think that really speaks to you being this well-rounded individual. Okay. And I think just listening to that podcast alone would give a lot of people a different perspective about you that listen yeah he knows the stuff in sports but he's so much more than that and that honestly and it's not like you think I've, yeah. I've made a ton of mistakes you know you know what though uh you make them but you learn from them mm -hmm. but this is exactly why i wanted you on this podcast because <laughs> i needed people to know that uh you know we have these images that we we sometimes present uh, present yeah but there's so much more depth to you. And the fact that you're able to come on here and be vulnerable with me and that we're able to have this conversation, man, it means the world to me. And I can't thank you enough you're for good, you're a good man. spending the time with this me. This district is in good hands. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. All right, everybody. That's the end of this episode of the Own Your Epic podcast. Uh, we will see you around on the next episode. Thanks, everybody. Thank you for joining me on today's podcast. To find out more about Own Your Epic, check out my website at ownyourepic.blogspot.com where you can purchase my book or subscribe to all the latest blog and podcast updates. Until next time, own your epic and share your voice and your story. It matters and can make a difference in the lives of others.